I have to reserve more time in my pie for internal communications, culture, employees, so on. As a leader, you've got shareholder stakeholders, you have employee stakeholders, you have customer stakeholders, and you got to figure out how you split your time. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. All right, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, CEO founder of SaaStock. Delighted to be joined today uh, by Mike Tesla, uh, who is the managing partner at True North Advisory uh, and the founding CEO uh, at Broadsoft. Uh, welcome, Mike, uh, to the show. Hey, nice to be here, Alex. Yeah, great, to, great to have you on. So you're you're now based in Austin, Mike. How long uh, how long have you been there? Uh, and what was the decision to move to Austin? Uh, obviously, a great place, and, and SaaStock USA is there as well. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. It is, good, it is a good place. Um, I've been here about two and a half years. I kind of moved in the middle of uh, of COVID, and uh, you know. Some some decisions you you make cautiously and some you just kind of bump into. I I, I had uh, kind of run my course of I was living in Bethesda Maryland and um, uh, kind of bored of the four walls. So I read, I rented a I Airbnb here in Austin. Uh, I have some friends here and figured just kind of change the scenery. And um, one of those friends is a real estate agent and we went to see a few houses and before you know it I made an offer and before you know it I moved to Austin. So um, it was. It's, it's been uh, it's been a fun two and a half years. It's a fun city, uh, lots of lots of entrepreneurial spirit, lots of uh, interesting folks, lots of good good music, good food. So fun place. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I came to Austin for the first time um, for for Sastock USA, which happened uh, you know end end of May. And yeah, just uh, absolutely loved it. Everything that you said, uh, I don't need to repeat. It had all of that in abundance. And uh, I, I, I came away thinking, oh, I could really live here, but I don't think I could convince uh, uh, my partner uh, to do so. I, I mean, you never know, but she, I'm, I'm not sure she's been. So maybe I have to get her over at some point. Um, but Mike, so we know you live in Austin, uh, but we need to know a little bit more about you. Uh, who is Mike Tesla? Uh, who's Mike? Uh, well, I, I've, uh, I guess the best way to describe who I am is I've been uh, in the tech space since the, or, you know, since the beginning of my career, um, always fascinated by, by uh, the impacts of technology and how uh, kind of bringing new technology to, to, you know, to the world, uh, mostly in the space around, uh, I started my, my, my career in the telecommunications space. And then uh, obviously with um, the transition, you know, kind of in the middle of telecom and SaaS, uh, in broad soft moving into that that space um, so yeah it's been uh, it's been a, a fun career uh, in in the space and and uh, excited in my last uh, or my current hurrah um, really focused on helping entrepreneurs in, in our advisory helping them with strategy messaging leadership um, really it's been been fun to kind of meet a, a large number of very interesting entrepreneurs all have the same kind of characteristics work hard you know you know, wake up, wake up with one mission, go to bed <laughs> with one mission, uh, focus. So that's, that's been, been a lot of fun. Well, t- tell us a little bit about that True North Advisory. Why, why did you decide to, to set that up? And, you know, uh, what does it do? You alluded to a little bit there. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, uh, you know, the, the, again, timing was, was interesting. Um, you know, we had, um, in 2018, we had sold Broadsoft to, to Cisco 
And um, I had agreed to stay at Cisco for, for a couple of years. Um, and my time at Cisco was, was at ended uh, strangely March 1st, uh, uh, 2020. Um, and my next activity was actually, uh, along with uh, a couple of my friends and colleagues, we were coming to Austin for South by, and then, you know, the, the COVID shutdown happened and, uh, we were all stuck at home and we had, you know, we had kind of, uh, talked about doing some work together. Um, but the, uh, we, we really were, we didn't have much to do besides, uh, work. So we decided, uh, to, to kick off the, this, um, uh, this advisory business. And um, we thought that uh, what was interesting is we have five partners. Um, we all all know each other for a long time. We all have uh, Broadsoft um, uh, in our in the ecosystem. Uh, either you know they all and everybody is, is at one point worked at Broadsoft, and um, so and we have different skill sets from sales and go to market to CFO to uh, IP to technology. So um, we thought it would be a really interesting opportunity to kind of give back, um, uh, stay very active in the, in the, in the community, uh, but really kind of work with entrepreneurs and helping them kind of scale their business. You know, that's, that's really what we're, we're all about is figuring out where they want to go, um, scale the business, work with the entrepreneurs, make sure that they, uh, get, you know, they meet their, their expectations or their, their objectives, help them accomplish those. Uh, and we try to help them in any one of those ways that we can. And, and with the entrepreneurs, um, do they need to be at a, because obviously we talk about scaling here. So do they need to be series A, series B? Uh, is it uh, B2B SaaS specific or does it, is, it, is it just in general kind of tech? Um, where, where's the focus? You know, we, we, you know, as any, any new business, we, we had to experiment a little bit. And, and what we found was we're probably um, a little bit too much firepower for really early stage. Uh, where you really kind of haven't figured out that, you know, the, you know what, what are you doing? What's the product market fit? Um, you know, pre any customers probably were a little bit too much firepower for that. So typically we like to be, we like to involve, involve ourselves in companies that are just beyond that. That would be the earliest stage, you know, have a few customers kind of proven pro- product market fit. Then we can come in and really help scale um, across all of the, the various dimensions, you know, scaling requires more capital investors. It requires, uh, recruiting the right kind of people, lead, you know, growing the leadership team and obviously investing in sales and marketing and messaging and so on. So that's, that's kind of where we, we play in. Um, again, experimenting a little bit, we, we were focused on B2B SaaS as kind of a generic area. We spend most of our time in this in the category of, of CX customer experience. So um, obviously, you know, legacy stuff like call centers and and but analytics and uh, you know latest the, the big investment area now conversational AI. Um, you know, uh, but lots of areas around automation, data cleanup, all kinds of stuff that all you know all impacts the customer journey. And so most of our activity is is um, is in that domain. And, and, and just then on, on uh, Broadsoft, uh, just to share a little bit of data there for the audience that, that may or may not know them. Um, so how long, how old was Broadsoft when it got acquired? How many people can you share the revenue? Uh, and then I think the, the exit amount or the, uh, the, uh, that Cisco paid is public. I saw between 1.8 billion to 2 billion. Um, so with, within that range. But yeah, can you share a little bit of data points on, on that? Sure. So we started Broadsoft in 1998, 
um, where, you know, I always like to say all, all the terminology that we know today around SaaS and, you know, like that, that word didn't exist and, you know, cloud didn't exist. And um, so we started really early in this um, real effort to migrate uh, enterprise um, communications, voice, collaboration uh, from prem to cloud. And that's kind of where, where we, uh, and we, we decided um, to uh, uniquely focus on a, um, a go-to-market strategy through, uh, through uh, service providers of all sizes, you know, very small boutique service providers, um, many of which who really used our technology to start a new business. It was a complete, you know, a lot of, a lot of the entrepreneurs um, that we, we, we uh, were, that were customers of ours really created businesses and were successful uh, in this whole UCAS, which now is, you know, evolved into this unified communications uh, marketplace. Um, so we uniquely went through service providers and they white label these services. We grew the business. Um, uh, we went public in 2010 on NASDAQ. Um, we sold uh, in 2018 to Cisco. We were a little bit over 2,000 employees in 23 countries. We had customers in a little over 80 countries or 85, something like that. Um, and probably, you know, I can't remember exact uh, revenue wise, the last quarter, which always a little bit def- weird because it actually goes up when you get acquired, um, was probably on track about a you know, $500 million, you know, size revenue company. Um, and yeah, as you said, sold for just shy of $2 billion. Can I say, so when you went public, and so you went public and, and then obviously uh, then got acquired, but uh, when you went public, what was the, the, the revenue sort of milestone or the, the tipping point for you to take it public back then? It was about a hundred. It was, I think we had, we were on target for about a hundred, which was at that time was a, you know, kind of a minimum IPO size, you know, anything smaller, it's hard. Um, that always changes a little bit. Um, at that time in, in, in 2010, that was kind of the, the, you know, the, the target. It was even small by, by, at that point. Um, we, um, you know, just kind of a little footnote to the 20, like really allowed us to, to energize is that in 2008, which, you know, was not a great time for lots of folks, um, uh, you know, with, with a pretty serious financial crisis, we actually acquired um, two of our, you know, let's say called pure play competitors and were able to consolidate revenue to give us really that jumping point into that IPO in 2010. So that was really a, a kind of an important stepping stone uh, in, in the evolution of the business. Makes sense. And, and then uh, can I ask then, you know, why, why sell when you did? Why to Cisco? Uh, how was that decision-making process with, your, with the founders? And, and once it was, I guess, how long was the process? And once it was done, um, how did you feel? You know, what was, what was, what was the plan? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the funny thing is we, we, we started the activity that led to, you know, like as things kind of happen, um, we started the activity really looking at the, the business um, and trying to figure out, um, you know, our strategy was all this indirect strategy. You obviously have seen companies like Zoom and Ring and Ring Central. Um, uh, but, you know, and, and they were direct, to, you know, somewhat direct. They had a direct brand to the end user. That wasn't our strategy. And we were uh, evaluating opening a part of our business, which would be more direct versus an indirect strategy. Um, and uh, to do that, we, we said, well, you know, we could start, you know, you know hire a salesperson in you know, New York. And, so, and it's, it's just a long process. Um, so we went out and we started looking for complementary companies that we could acquire 
because um, we were large enough at the time, companies that we could acquire and um, that were in the enterprise sales, uh, enterprise, direct enterprise selling motion, had a complementary product that made sense with our UCAS product. And so that led us to have a lot of conversations with private equity firms that had you know, assets that we were considering, went down a few of those paths, none of those really worked. But then private equity guys started to know us and say, oh, wait a minute, you guys want to do this big transformation. Um, we, you really should do this as a private company, not a public company. And so they started kind of uh, proposing a take private process, um, which then started kind of a frenzy around that. And then, of course, the board said, oh, wait a minute, we've got all this private equity interest. Why don't we open it up to some strategic? So um, the, I'd say because it's probably somewhere I know it's well documented somewhere. I think at the, the process had 16 players at one time. Um, uh, so how long it took? It took a lot longer than anybody could imagine. Probably a year uh, for the whole process to occur. Um, and um, we eventually came down to, to choose between three three offers. And I think for the customers uh, and the employees, I mean, the pricing was pretty much the same. So proceeds to the, you know, to the shareholders and, and, um, and we were a public company, so public shareholders um, was about the same. Um, uh, but Cisco just felt like a better home for the technology, better home for the, um, for the employees uh, and better home for the client, for the customer. So they just seemed like a much, a really good fit. You, 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 you mentioned it uh, taking a year uh, during that year, are you spending 50% of your time on that 75 or 100? A lot. Uh, uh, and, and in fact, Alex, good question, because at some point the process just was, you know, you need a trigger point, right? And, and it was just dragging on. And um, I'd probably say I'd spend, like, you know, historically at Broadsoft, I would spend most of my efforts in sales. I, would, I was on the road a lot. I was very customer centric, um, had a really great team you know, of, of, uh, of colleagues kind of managing internally and, and managing back office and so on. Um, and then um, this sales process kind of took me away from selling, which was not uh, not something that I, I like to, to take my eye off. Um, and so eventually I had to go to the board and say, look, we're going to call we're going to call time on this and basically tell um, parties that have been in the data room and talking to us Um that you got, you know, there's a there's a there's a board meeting happening. I remember the board meeting on Thursday. Your bids are due Wednesday. Thursday morning we're opening bids, and we're going to pick a bid, or we're going to pick no bid, and we're going to just get back to business. Uh, and that's uh, that's how the the process finally got uh, got. It. it was a forcing function. It was a timing forcing function. Um, I worry that we didn't do that. It would just it would have gone on longer. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Uh, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of a lot of founders that uh, go through M and A, and they it always goes on longer, and they get fr- very frustrated at certain points that you know they they get perhaps so frustrated they they kind of want to stop the process. But it's a, it's a matter of patience. Uh, uh, well, in, in our history, we we acquired twenty five companies, or pretty close twenty five companies, mostly small companies, tech companies, tech in you know tuck ins. Um, so we were we were familiar with the, uh, the the pain we inflicted on others, <laughs> but, but we had no idea how it felt when it, the pain was being inflicted on us. But yes, um, and you know, I, you ask a question like, how does it feel? It always feels a bit, um, you know, like you know, the day after, it's like okay, it's like I'm no longer. Well, the day after, I was still kind of in control. There was like really like very little change. 
But over the first six months, you, you start to lose control of the business. Um, things start getting chopped up, you know, all over the place. Um, and it, it, you know, you, at some points you're, you're, you get frustrated because you see your baby being mistreated or treated or treated in a different way that you would have, but you know, you gotta, you gotta move on. It was, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was, it wasn't a short ride. It was 20 years, um, for, for my co-founder Scott and I. Um, so it, you know, it was also, you know, to be honest, um, a good way for us to make a transition out without, you know, kind of just dropping the ball and leaving, um, after 20 years. Um, I think, um, I think the employees found a, a good home at Cisco. Um, they all seem to be well taken care of. Um, so I think that was, that was all, you know, kind of a good set of moves. Well, let, let's talk about some, uh, some of the key sort of lessons then obviously there's loads, right. But if we distill it down into like, let's say three key lessons as you, you grew the business to 500 million, you, you know, o- over that period of time, um, you know, in terms of revenue, uh, that is, uh, let, let, let's talk about some of the things that help you do that. Um, so I think one of the thing you, you mentioned um, sort of like in the notes around sort of like continuously reviewing strategy, aligning the team to the big picture. So let, let's talk more about that. Yeah, one of the things that we, we started early on um, at, at Broadsoft is, is really uh, an annual process of, of really bringing the leadership team. And, and sometimes, you know, it could be a couple of layers down. Every year was a little bit different based on circumstances. But um, and really, you know, kind of looking at the numbers and with, you know, kind of a critical eye, look at the customer feedback, look at the, um, you know, the product, look at competition, look at uh, market, uh, market dynamics, you know, raising money, capital evaluations. Um, and we would really spend kind of a day, kind of, uh, uh, one of a day kind of just looking at all that data. And then we kind of really tear down the, the proposition and say, okay, what, what you know, what are we doing? What's our strategy? Should we make uh, course corrections? And um, and settling uh, with a consensus view of um, really high level um, kind of strategic directional um, statements. So five, you know, we always pick five statements for what we wanted to accomplish over the next year. And um, with the goal of really leaving it up to the executive team, the leadership team, to, to kind of find the path to deliver on those five statements. We didn't want to, I, I had no plan to micromanage the business, uh, <clears throat> but really kind of setting out where we wanted to focus the business. And, you know, sometimes year to go, you know, from year one, year two, um, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be a lot of changes. There'd be some fine tuning to those, to those strategic, sometimes there'd be more, more major uh, changes um, sometimes those changes that we um, uh, uh, aspire to deliver became a lot more challenging than we could ever imagine. Um, you know, we made a, a, a strategic decision in our um, in our evolution to go from um, kind of software delivered to partners. They ran it, they managed it, to a, a wholesale SaaS, which was really a new phenomenon when we did it. Um, and, um, and the operations, the complexity of really running a service now, running a seven by 24 service. Um, we had no idea the complexity that would introduce to the business, to the sales models, et cetera. And, um, that was a lot harder than we imagined, but it was really important to get, you know, I think that the lesson learned to me is, um, you know, you know, execution, you got, you know, you got to know where you're executing and alignment is really important. And uh, one of the things we, we really beat into our, our partners, our, in our clients at, at True North is 
you know, the team's got to be aligned. Like before we start executing anything, if the team's not aligned and surprisingly it doesn't, it's not that easy because alignment and strategy requires choosing. And what I find a lot of times with um, technology entrepreneurs is, you know, they're enamored with the tech and the tech can do 10 things, but we don't want to talk about 10 things. We want to talk about one, one vertical, one use case, one geo, whatever that is. Um, so we'd be an execute on, on marketing messaging and go to market. You can't, you know, it's really hard uh, to be effective in, in delivering a message to the marketplace with the amount of noise that's in the marketplace. If you're, if you're just too, you know, you're too unfocused. Um, and so that's a really important part of our, our, um, our, our process at True North is really, and, and sometimes there's a lot of kicking and screaming. I have to tell you when we force entrepreneurs to choose, you know, it's not A or B and C and D and E. It's 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 A or B or C or D. Um, I, I mean, it's very interesting uh, around strategy and execution, right? So obviously, I mean, if if you can pick the right strategy and execute really well against that, obviously you've, you've got this this great chance of success. But often, what I see is that you know folks will pick the the strategy, but have a lot of issues around execution. Um, and, and I guess in, in many cases the, the, there can be sort of different reasons. Like how did you get your team to execute? Like, you, you know, what, what's the sort of like the Broadsoft way or the Mike Tesla way to, to get the, the teams, the company to, to, to execute? You mentioned about obviously you've got to be all aligned. Um, obviously that, that would be sort of like a key ingredient. But aside from that, you, you've set the, the goals for the quarter, for the year. You, you know, how do the, the teams execute so, so well? Obviously, you're absolutely right. Setting the direction is, is critical. Um, and, and one thing we, we would also then do is allow the teams to go away and take that and create, you know, what, what their, what their execution plan was and, um, be realistic around <clears throat> how much we could do, um, how much we could fund. Sometimes we just simply couldn't fund all this activity we had to choose. And so really have that next level of conversation around, you know, really building, um, realistic execution plans, um, that we could deliver on. And, and then holding everybody accountable. Accountability is really important. Everybody's got to deliver, um, you know, sales guys, you know, talk to anybody who worked for me in sales, like they had to deliver. Um, you know, there was, there was not a lot of forgiveness on the sales front because, you know, we had to, we were eight year public company. We got to deliver, you know, um, we deliver eight years on target really hard, but you know, that, that was important. Um, that drove the, you know, the, that drove our valuation, drove our business, drove our cash flow. Um, which drove money for R&D and stuff. So that was one of the things why the alignment was so important to make sure that everybody had a seat at the table uh, and everybody felt uh, vested in, that, in, the, in the decision, but then everybody had to go away and figure out their execution plan. And then just, you know, um, not micromanage, but micro, you know, like often look at it, report, et cetera. Um, so that's, that's, that's really, you know, uh, you know, Execution is attention to detail. It's not, there's no magic to it. Um, you got to have the right people. That's also the other thing. And um, I would say that, you know, as organizations go, you know, we had uh, certainly an evolution of leadership as the company went from, you know, five employees at start to 2000. Some people can't scale and some people don't, don't make it with the new, our new strategy. And so there's, you know, we got to figure out the, the right leadership, constant evolution of the right leadership for uh, the company at, and, and scale at the time. So Yeah, no, it's a nice segue into that. So a, a lot of people listening are, are really in the startup world. 
um, as the organization goes from startup and, you know, just a few employees to, you know, ho hopefully, and, and many of them, you know, scaling up, uh, you know, how does, how does the leadership change and how did you manage that? Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a learning um, as the company scales up, um, you know, lots of things that you just do informally in a really small company suddenly is to start, you know, getting more, more process, um, sometimes bad word in start, startups, but, you know, really kind of understanding how you're going to, to, to really manage the, the team and, 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 and get the team to execute. Um, and it becomes, you know, it's a complex, you know, employees in 23 countries, kind of a complex operation. Um, and uh, aligning cultures, like, you know, like, as I said, we acquired lots of companies all over the world. Um, we learned some real interesting culture things that we never imagined, um, you know, uh, small things that don't impact employees here, you know, really, you know, make people crazy in Finland, you know. So you got to just be careful um, and understand that. But I think um, for a leader, I think what's really important is, is understanding, you know, what you have to personally communicate to the like, you know, when you have five employees, you can meet every employee, you can shake hands, you can talk to them, you can have coffee. When you have 2000, it's just not possible. And so as you grow this team, you have to kind of think about the leaders have to be really, you know, your ambassadors, they have to be really good at it. Um, you have to have enough people touching, you know, if you're multi geography, um, you know, work at home is, is a really tough phenomenon for, for building culture. We had a lot of people distributed, but we didn't have 2000 all sitting at home. That would have been even harder. Um, and so I, I think that just as, as you, as you evolve, continuously uh, evaluate. And I'd say personally, uh, I have to reserve more time in my pie for internal communications, culture, employees, so on. As a leader, you've got shareholder stakeholders, you have employee stakeholders, you have customer stakeholders, and you got to figure out how you split your time. And uh, when you're small, the employee stuff kind of gets done by just meeting them over coffee and running or, you know, or you know, going to the same meeting. Uh, when you get larger, you have to think a bit more formality. We um, we decided at some point that the scale was getting difficult. Um, and so I recruited and hired someone to run uh, internally uh, what I call the chief transformation officer, which was really around getting our messaging out, getting the value out, really spending all the time focused on those key issues, getting the, getting the team super aligned from a, from a value perspective, um, communicating progress at a, at a company level, making sure that all the teams in the various geographies felt like they were part of the family. That's a really important part of that, of that role. So we, we decided to invest and hire somebody full-time executive on, on my team and that's all they did was focus on on the people issues. Um, something that was really successful for you, you guys, and, and you mentioned it earlier, is around your your sort of your partners um, and and the model that you had there. Uh, and it's it's a quite I think topical this year. You know, hearing a lot of SaaS companies certainly inquire about you, you know how do we get a, build a partnership program, partnership model, reseller model, etc. A few have done it well. You, you know, probably most uh, are still trying to figure it out. Uh, but you you guys did this really well. So how how did you make your go to market partners uh, really kind of work? But what was the 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 secret to the success there? There's a couple of things that, that were unique to us. Um, one of them was that we never we never competed with them. There was no direct versus channel. Um, that's a challenge some companies have. Um, I think the the other thing is that 
in many cases, we are enabling a, a new opportunity for the partner. So it wasn't like we were coming along and there are five other companies doing the same thing. We were enabling a new service that they were going to make money on. And probably the most important thing is we made it very clear in our approach, uh, our investment, and even our, in our pricing business model that um, we say the rope is really tight. And what does that mean is that um, we wanted the, the partner to make money and then we made money. So we weren't like we weren't saying, hey, you know, here's a bunch of software. Good luck. Here's, you know, write us a check for $10 million and uh, goodbye. Um, we, we did not like signing very large initial deals. Um, what we liked was our partners to start ordering every month, every, oh my God, you know, we ran out of inventory. We need some more, we need some more licenses. So that rope was really tight, which made it meant that it was our responsibility to help that partner technically mark whatever they needed. Um, we, we, we really went out of the way to help them, um, you know, train their salespeople, uh, go to their sales events, go to their leadership events, talk about the, the evolution of the industry, um, did all of those, um, uh, you know, because it was it was critical. And I think bringing them into the family and them feeling like, oh, OK, broad soft success is dependent on the partner's success. It's not the way a lot of people, you know, pe people treat partners like, oh, well, I, I need a, I need someone to sell my stuff. You know, like, oh, I got to get margin, you know, like it, it starts in a, you know, like we never, we never had a retail price. We sold wholesale. Uh, we had a different mindset from the beginning. We never thought about, oh, okay, I mean, you know, did this partner do enough for their 30 point margin, which I hear a lot of. Um, and, and it's not, and, and the partners are not close to you either. They've got this big, you know, inventory of suppliers, um, technology partners, um, how can they be helpful if they're representing three of your competitors? Um, doesn't really work. Um, so I, I think that to me, the distribution business is a little flawed uh, at the moment. Um, you know, uh, you know, one thing that I, I, I did learn from my, my time at Cisco, which is like one of those uh, strange observations you have is we got acquired and we went to the first Cisco sales event and, and, and they ha have it in, in, uh, in Vegas every year. And you show up to the opening event and it's in the hockey coliseum and there's 20,000 people there. And I'm like, I thought we did 98% of our business through channel. And the answer is we do. Um, but we actually, you know, that company basically, you know, they're direct and channel and partners, managers, and they all get comped. So it's like the, that's, the, that's the, if anybody ever asked, what, asked what's the Cisco secret, it's like, it's called double comp uh, or triple comp. Um, you know, they just, they, they make sure everybody's happy, you know, like they're direct sellers um, there are partner managers and there's a partner and they're all making money. Um, that, that seems to be the secret why Cisco has survived uh, as a company for so long and, and had, you know, fairly successful partner arrangements. But I, I think that a lot of SaaS companies, um, the other thing is, I, Alex, you know this, you know, like, you know, in the old days of partners and distribution, they used to do stuff. They would go install, you know, they have a screwdriver, they would install stuff, they would deliver a box and they would plug it in and they would, you know, what does the partner do in the SaaS world? You know, like turn the license on, you know, like, you know, and so a lot of, a lot of technology companies like, what, what does the partner do for us? Why do we have the partner involved? You know, they're not doing enough. Um, and so there's this, you know, partner technology uh, challenge. I think the industry has that I think, you know, has to be solved. And, you know, if you're a small company, you're starting out, you're, you know, 20, 30 employees, 
how do you go direct? Like, you know, do you have a choice? You have to go through partners. And then that's fraught with all these issues I just described. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Uh, thanks for sharing that. We're going to move into the quick fire round. Uh, so, Mike, I'd like to know what one thing has moved the needle the most for you in your career? Uh, probably uh, early, early on getting a really uh, difficult self, uh, uh, one of those uh, 360 reviews and realizing that I was, uh, I was a bit more outrageous than I am today. So. <laughs> Very good. Who, who, who gave you that? Th- oh, well, 360, it's kind of everyone, right? Um, so, yeah. It was rough. <laughs> yeah. What's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, it, it's one of those things you've heard, like, you know, you got to, all this data comes in, whatever, you got to trust your gut in making these decisions. You, usually the, the entrepreneur, no, like they're, they're the best person to, to be aware of. They have all the input, they have all the data um, and, and uh, don't get swayed by, by others, you know, trust your gut. Well, biggest failure you've made and lesson learned? You know, the feelings are always, um, I have to say, always, always a little bit frustrating. Um, I think the biggest ones are always, um, you know, hiring the wrong person for the job uh, and then not managing that quickly enough. It's always, uh, you know, it's, you know, after you do it a few times, you can, you can recognize it in others, but sometimes harder to recognize it in yourself. <laughs> You're just giving somebody a few too many chances and you should have moved on. So that's really important. Uh, hardest thing about being a CEO? Yeah, the hard, I, I think this is the one thing that I never realized is that, and as you get, as the company gets bigger, um, it's it's somewhat isolating. You know, like there are things you just can't talk to anybody about, um, and um, you know you don't you know you've got a board of directors, but sometimes you don't want to talk. You know, you don't want to hash something out with a board of directors. These are there are some things that you don't want to talk to your staff or your leadership team about. And so it can be lonely and you've got to find um, some, some safe, uh, safe folks to talk things through. Uh, that, that, that's really important, I think. But it, it, it surprisingly kind of, you know, you're the one person that connects the company to the board and the shareholders. And, and so there's a lot of responsibility, but some, some level of uh, aloneness <laughs> to it. In terms of the safe folks, were these kind of other entrepreneurs in your just sort of like entrepreneur friend circle to... Yeah, kind of yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's important to have colleagues. And, like, you know, when you're so mission critical, it's like, okay, you, you turn everything off, you're focused. But it's important to have to figure out at least two or three folks. I and mean, it could be mentors, peers, whatever, but um, places that you can have a safe conversation that, you know, you, you, know, you, you may not want to have it with a board. Now, I have to say that, you know, um, I was pretty comfortable talking with some board members about anything, like saying, hey, you know, close the door, let's have a conversation. Um, but you got to develop that relationship. So any, anybody like that, that you feel comfortable where you can have a, an open chat. Um, have you got a favorite book on business or a business book uh, and why? I don't have a favorite one. I read a lot. Um, I read a lot of books. Um, I, I should say I peruse a lot of books. I try to like, you know, suck up one, one concept. Um, I, I do like this idea and I've done this quite a bit is I'll, I'll pick up a book, um, try to grab one lesson learned and apply it. And say, okay, let's try this out, you know. And and frankly, you know, this this the, the, what we call the, the strategy review internally. We used to call it the top five annual top five. That came from some book that I read on you know on a flight somewhere, and and it was kind of a trashy business book. But I said, okay, let's apply this, and and it was a very simple kind of three step process that I we adopted and adapted and and used for twenty years. 
Uh, Mike, you've been a great guest on the, the SaaS Revolution show today. So really appreciate you sharing with the SaaS Doc community. Where can people find you online if they want to reach out and you know, uh, find out more about you or, or True North? Well, you can obviously on LinkedIn, you can find me there uh, or um, uh, on truenorthadvisory.us. Lovely. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mike Tesla, uh, a managing partner at True North Advisor. Really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks, Alex. It was fun. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaSdoc conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.